Let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Let us all look to the Lord that he may honor the word that we listened this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we plead with you to speak to our hearts. You're not the dead God. The Bible says that you are the living God and the living God speaks. The living God is active in our lives. The living God transforms our lives. And we pray that you open the eyes of our heart, that we may behold wondrous things in your word. Lord, as we listen to your word, we are aware of the schemes of the devil. And also aware of the deceitfulness of the flesh that seek to dissuade us from the living word of God. And we pray that you give us that utmost focus on your word. And may we humbly submit to the authority of your word. Honoring the work of Christ on the cross. Honoring your word that you are speaking to us through the exposition of your word. We commit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us. Thank you so much for the gathering of the saints. We pray that you build your church as you have promised 2,000 years ago through the proclamation of the word. And may you always be enthroned over the church and exalt your name and your word. In the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. We have been listening expositional sermons from the book of Hebrews. And I mentioned in the past that when we look at the book of Hebrews, we see the, both the encouragement and also warnings and exhortations from the scripture. We have seen from chapter 1 a lot of encouragement about who Christ is. And then when we have come to chapter 2, we have seen both the encouragement and also the warning passages. And then last time when we have begun reflecting upon Hebrews chapter 3 from verse 1, we have seen again encouragement about who Christ is, about our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ and how Christ is supreme over Moses. But when we come to this Hebrews chapter 3 from verses 7 to 19, we have again come to warning passage. And I think warnings are very important because whenever God warns, it is for our good and out of His love, compassion, and care for us. The Bible often says that as the Father disciplines His Son, so the Lord disciplines His people. Warnings are the sign that God loves us and cares for the condition of our soul. When we delve into this passage, it is very important for us to understand the history of Israel because of what the author of Hebrews constantly points back to the Israel in the wilderness and bringing application from there to the present believers about how they need to guard their hearts which are prone to wander off from the living God. When we look at the book of Exodus, we have seen that uh, how the book begins with the slavery of Israel by Egyptians. 70 people went there, 70 men. It doesn't speak about women and children, maybe more than that. And out of that we see that in about uh, more than four centuries, we have seen millions of people multiply. What a great blessing of the Lord that we see. But the sad thing is we see that they were held in bondage by the Egyptians and they were mistreated, tortured, and they were in great agony. We see how Exodus begins saying that how the Israelites cried out to the Lord and the Lord hearkened their cry and he raises deliverer for them, Moses, and he sends him to deliver people from the bondage of Egypt. And we know how God sent ten plagues upon the land of Egypt, scaring them, bringing fear upon them, that they eventually send them to the promised land as God has promised to them. 
And then we see how Israel come out of the bondage of Egypt, the great exodus, great celebration. And they plundered the Egyptians and they came out with great joy. And then we see right after they come out of this bondage of Egypt, they faced an immediate challenge. That is the Red Sea that was there before them. And at the back we see the Egyptian army chasing again to kill them. And God did one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. That is dividing the Red Sea through which the Israelites walked through victoriously to the other side of the land. And we also see how the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea. When we look at this, we may all say, what a happy ending it was, isn't it? What a great happy ending. But to tell you it was not an happy ending, it was a happy beginning. But the ending was very sad, through which the author of Hebrews gives exhortation. Then after they come out of this Red Sea, we see Israel's journey in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, we see that when these people came out, there were more than one million, close to two million people who came out of the land of Egypt and they were marching towards the promised land. And before we listen to what the author of Hebrews speaks here from verse 7, it's important for us to read first Psalm 95. Because whatever he speaks here is based on what Psalm 95, 6 through 11 says. Psalm 95, 6 through 11. And uh, please listen carefully what the psalmist says here. To the people living then, he says here, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, which means quarreling, as on the day at Massa, which means testing in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest when the psalmist here is speaking to the people then and uh, he was reminding them about what happened in Exodus chapter 17 we see that there the Israelites grumbling against Moses, against the Lord, because of lack of water. And God does the miracle, but at the same time, God was very angry with the people because they were constantly grumbling through their wilderness journey. And Moses called the place Meribah Masa. That is, God tested there and they quarreled, they grumbled. And uh, here the psalmist reminds to the people then, be careful. Do not harden your heart if you listen to his voice. And then we see Hebrews citing this passage in his own letter to these Christians who were shaking in their faith because of the persecution and the tribulation and the afflictions they were facing because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, reminding them of this passage, this is how the author of Hebrews begins in chapter 3. From verse 7, he says here, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You know what's interesting? The way he begins this passage is, the very first phrase that we see here is, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. 
he is quoting the old testament scripture to this new testament recipients and telling them hear what the holy spirit says now what is interesting when you see this grammar is he didn't say here hear what the holy spirit said that is he spoke to the people then when psalm 95 was written to those people after centuries of israelites coming into the promised land but that's not what he said here hear what the holy spirit said he uses a phrase hear what the holy spirit says he is citing the old testament scripture and telling them the holy spirit is speaking to you now through this passage through this scripture brothers and sisters listen to this carefully as we go more into this passage hear this whenever you are opening the bible and reading the words of the scripture remember it is the holy spirit who is speaking to you it is not just god spoke in the past god is still speaking us to us to, to us today when we open the bible and that's how the author of hebrews says here therefore hear what the holy spirit says the voice of god is heard through the scripture when we read the bible do we open the bible and see that this is the word of god and when i read the word i hear the voice of god these are not the words of people these are not the opinions of people these are the words inspired by the holy spirit and when we read that bible we hear the voice of god you know madam one of the major reasons why many people find bible study boring you know why they don't get excited and encouraged when they study the bible because they don't read with intentional consciousness that the holy spirit is speaking to them when they are studying the words of the scripture they just read like any other book but bible is not like any other book it is the very word of god and when you read that word you hear the voice of the holy spirit now when we read this passage from 7 to 11 we see the lord's work people's attitude and also the lord's response now let us look at the lord's work that speaks about in hebrews chapter 3 from verse 8 after the great redemption of israel from the bondage of egypt what happened after that it says in verse 8 do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion or as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness why did the lord take them through the wilderness the bible tells that he can take them in few days to the promised land but the lord intentionally took them through the wilderness and the reason he took them through the wilderness and remember this carefully it was not moses who took them through the wilderness it is not the enemies who took them through the wilderness it is not people by their own feelings they went through the wilderness the bible tells here the lord who is sovereign over everyone and everything he is the one who took them through the wilderness with a purpose and what is the purpose the bible tells them to test them I'm reading this days Deuteronomy interestingly as I was reading in my personal devotion as I was going through this there are a lot of similarities that I see from what I was reading and what the scripture says you just see this he uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 which confirms what Hebrews chapter 3 verse 8 you cannot understand the book of Hebrews if you don't know the old testament scripture it is in the old testament scripture that you see the brightness of what the author was trying to speak to the recipients then and to us now Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 it says and you shall remember shall we all read this together and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you this 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not the bible tells us 
very clearly that the Lord took them and He caused them to become hungry. He caused them to suffer. He tested them in the wilderness. Why? Because in that testing, their true obedience to the word is manifested. People listen to this. It is not your excitement when you are born again that shows that you are obedient to the Lord. But as you begin your journey and as you face afflictions and testing and when there is a choice between choosing God or something else, that's where your true obedience is tested. You know, it is said that it, took, it, it, it takes only 11 days for the Israelites to travel from Egypt to the promised land. Just 11 days if they go straight. Imagine where is 11 days and 40 years. <laughs> Why did God just didn't take them directly into that? The Bible says that he wanted to test them. And when the Lord tested these people, what happened? Now we will see the people's attitude. What is their attitude? In chapter 3, from verses 7 to 8, it says that the Bible gives the sad news that these people's hearts were hardened. They were excited when they came out of it. In fact, they sung a song how the Lord delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. And when Moses spoke to them, this is what the Lord said. You know what they said to Moses? We will obey whatever the Lord said. We will submit to his authority. We will do whatever you tell us and we will do that. Wow. What a great encouragement it is when they said that. But that's not true. They were superficial in their confession. They were shallow in their commitment. And the wilderness proved it. It says here that in verse 7 to 8, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What does the term today mean? It doesn't say in the past or in the future. It says today. The word today is used to call people to have a sense of urgency. Do not delay. Do not be lax. Do not be casual. Today is a day for your obedience and submission. And don't take it for granted. There is a sense of urgency that we see in the present tense word today. And it says today if you hear his voice. Now some people may be thinking, I'm not hearing any voice. I'm not seeing any the voice of God these days. Now you need to hear people when the author of Hebrews is telling here, today if you hear his voice, he's pointing to the scripture of Psalm 95, which is the word of God is the voice of God. The proclamation of the word of God is the voice of God. And it says here, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. How do you harden your hearts? How do you harden your hearts? Very simple it is. You don't have to make any efforts for that. Whenever you hear the word of God and don't obey it, you are hardening your heart. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Whenever you hear the word of God, some people don't even have the opportunity to harden their hearts. You know why? Because they don't hear. Some are so worse, forget about hardening. They don't even hear the word of God. They don't study personally and the message comes to them, they don't hear. Their hearts and their ears are hardened. Therefore, their hardness of the heart is even much worse. And the Bible tells here that if you hear his voice, do not harden. People listen to this. Every time when you hear the word, either in your personal devotions or through the expositional sermon or whatever it is, you have an opportunity either to harden your heart or to be broken by the word of God and grow in holiness. People, I'm telling you, these people were really excited. They were enjoying the blessings of the Lord. They were excited in so many ways. But when it comes to obedience, you see that their great lack of spirituality and submission to the word of God. As a pastor, I know the flock very well. How some people are so excited when the song is there, they sing, and uh, they are very excited in many ways. But when it comes to obedience to the word of God, I see that how hardened and rebellious people can be. 
And that's a great, great warning to us. Warren B.S.B. says here, what does it mean to harden your heart? Hearken these people. You need to understand this because we are very good at it. So maybe this would really help us to be broken by the work of the Holy Spirit. Warren B.S.B. says here, what does it mean to harden your heart? It means to see with clear evidence of the hand of God at work and still refuse to accept His word and submit to His will. It means to resist Him by showing ingratitude and disobedience and not having any fear of the Lord or of His judgments. Hardened people say with Pharaoh, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the wax or ice hardens the clay. It all depends on the nature of the material. So what this shows is that it is not the wilderness that caused people to become hardened. Wilderness only exposed the hardening of the heart which was inherent. You know how many people get excited and show a real, a lot of uh, spiritual enthusiasm. But when it comes to the family life, for example, when the Bible says husbands, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. There you should see the real hardness of the heart. I've seen that. When the Bible says, be submissive to, the, to, your, to your husbands, all the religious, enthusiastic, and very passionate wives, there you should see what hardness of the heart is. When the Bible tells to children, be obedient to your parents and honor them, there you should see their true rebellion against the authority that God placed on them. But as long as when it comes to confessions, paying lip service, enthusiasm, religious activities and experience, everyone sounds very spiritual. But when it comes to obedience, there you shall see the hardening of the heart and also the rebellion of people. When the Bible says, love the church, serve the church, be active, don't be passive, there you should see the rebellion of people. I don't care what the word of God says. My way is highway. God's way is not my way. What a sad thing it is. When the Bible says, be submissive, honor your superiors in the workplace. There you should see the rebellion and the hardness of the people who don't want to submit to the authorities in the workplace. Dear brothers and sisters, I beg you this morning. As the word of God speaks to us, it cautions us, do not, do not harden your heart. One of the prayers that I pray is that, Lord, give me a tender heart. Give me a tender heart that is quick to conviction of the Holy Spirit of my sin and immediately obeys what God's word says. Quick conviction of sin and immediate obedience to the word of God. That is what we lack in the churches today, people. That quick conviction of sin, an immediate obedience to the word of God. And whenever you're not doing that, brothers and sisters, remembering that you are progressing in hardening your heart. And that's the worst thing you can do to yourself. The worst thing that you can do to yourself is progressing in the hardening of the heart. He says here that in verse 9, as the author speaks here, your fathers put me to the test. Do you see that two testing happening here? The Lord tests them in the wilderness and these people test back the Lord. Now you test us and we will also test you. <laughs> eye for eye, tooth for tooth. For tooth. Wow. And they tested the Lord himself. And how did they test my dear brothers and sisters? If you read carefully Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, they tested by grumbling. Grumbling. One of the worst diseases, gangrene of the people of God. And I was, uh, as I was reading, as I told you that I was, I was going through Exodus and Numbers and now I am in Deuteronomy. I was doing a research on how many times the people of Israel grumbled. I don't think so that the Bible exhaustively speaks about their grumbling attitude. But you know, whatever I have found out, I have seen that about 14 times these people grumbled against God. And you know very good what grumbling is. We don't need to, uh, no one need to teach us how to grumble. <laughs> that comes by nature. 
Very much. And you know, another thing that really surprised me, now hear this carefully, and this is very much applicable in the context of the church. Hear these people. Very important insights that I have never seen, which I have seen when I was studying on the nature of grumbling against God. Hear this. The Israelites in their entire journey that I have seen and studied grumbling, they never grumbled directly against God. Never. I have not seen a single instance. You know how did they grumble against God? By grumbling against Moses. Every time I have seen carefully, I was really thought, I was thinking that maybe I should really study deeper into that. How many times it says, against Moses, against Moses, against Moses, against Aaron. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? When God places the authority in your life, if you disobey them, lack of submission to them, you grumble against God. Wives, listen to this carefully. When God has placed your husbands as the head of yours, they may have fallacies, they may not be perfect. Remember, when you are fighting against them, when you are rebelling against them, you are grumbling against God himself. Because who placed the husband in your life? Did he say that, I want to be the head of, the, head of, your, head of your life? Will you please accept me as your head? Is it something, the invention of man? No, the Bible says that God in his creation ordained husbands to be the head. Who ordained leaders in the church? It is God who ordained leaders in the church and he commands believers to submit to them. Shankar and I take great delight in some of the believers and we praise God how submissive they are. And at the same time, we grieve in our hearts looking at some people, how rebellious, heart-hardening the people are. And it breaks our hearts. Sometimes it gives us great sleepless nights. Breaks us when we see that hardening of the heart. We see here that God led people through Moses. People didn't understand how God was guiding uh, and leading through Moses. And they started to grumble every time. I see that, you know, some of, when, we, when, we, when we lead the church, we study a lot. You have no idea how many books we studied, how many articles we studied, with how many people we interact about how to lead the church. And there are people who never take an ounce of the effort to read about how to build the church. And when we lead the question... How can you do this? Why should we have this? Come and study ecclesiology with us and you will understand what it means to lead the church. Never studying about the church and people who diligently study and lead, they question them, criticize them. What a sad thing it is, brothers and sisters, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't have this grumbling attitude in your heart and rebel against the Lord. No matter how spiritually you appear, your true spirituality is shown in your submission and obedience, not in your confession and profession. And it is very hard. You know, Exodus 16 verse 8, Moses was so sick of this uh, people. And you know what he says? He says in Exodus chapter 16 verse 8, he says that what are we he says, what are we? Why are you grumbling against us? Why are you always fighting with us? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. People, if you have any problem with your authorities, go and talk to them. Brother, this is what I feel. Would you please help us understand? I've seen that such people really enjoy the life of the church and grow in the Lord. And I've also seen some people who never come to the church no, I mean, never come to the leadership of the church and they start gossiping and criticizing at the back about the leadership and the decisions and all those things. Never come. And those people don't stick here for a long time. In one sense, we are glad when we lose rebellious people because church is much better without them than with them. But at the same time, our hearts are saddened to look at the condition of the people's hearts. And it says here in verse 10, they always, it says, what a beautiful testimony, right, by the Lord. I hope it should not be true of us. 
they always go astray in their heart not in their lips lips beautiful church covenant 1 to 10 we may even say word to word they don't go astray in their confession confessions beautiful doctrinal confession superb mission statement superb church covenant all members rise up superb you confess through the week we again go astray in our hearts not being mindful of what we are confessing you know what is the interesting thing here people the lord says here that they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways what they don't know the ways of god why he said that they don't know the ways of god people listen to this carefully hearing the word of god doesn't mean you know the ways of god knowing the doctrine doesn't mean that you know the ways of god reading books and books and books doesn't mean that you know the ways of god you know what shows your obedience shows that you truly believe and know the ways of god in hebrew knowing is not just an intellectual accumulation of information in hebrew knowing means experiencing it knowing means enjoying it knowing means living by it that's the reason the bible says that adam knew eve and she began who abel and cain knew do you see the word knew it's a very intimate word for us knowing is only about what you have it in your head but that's not what the bible says brothers and sisters we should know that knowing god and his ways comes from believing and obeying the word of god not mere accumulation of information i often tell to the interns that now and then i keep reminding them hey guys listen to this carefully there is no dearth lack of knowledge in our generation today google has tons and tons of information youtube has tons and tons of sermons the world has astounding uncountable books both in theology and practice you know what i tell them i tell them that the world today should see an exemplary life an exemplary life if you live it you give it as a greatest gift to your generation i said that because don't think that they don't know anything you people heard about many things i don't even say no because knowing god knowing his ways only comes by obedience not by just hearing you might have heard the word of god you might have read so many times my question is my dear brothers and sisters do you know god and his ways which only comes through obedience some of the people i see that very good in doctrine they speak as if paul rose from the dead and when i look at their lives frustrates me these guys speaks big words great doctrines reformed theology doctrines of grace five solas but when it comes to life no devotion no discipline no diligence no submission no humility what kind of knowledge is that what kind of understanding is that and what was the lord's response here the bible tells in chapter 3 from verses 10 to 11 therefore therefore i was provoked with that generation i was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest they shall not enter the promised land which i promised to them why because they were constantly disobedient and rebellious and often going away from the word of god although they have been hearing 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 never able to submit to that and we see here now in order for me to connect what the latter passage says in the context it is good for me to skip some of the verses and then bring that chunk of passage here so that we can understand in the context of what the bible says in this passage there are three rhetorical questions that we see a rhetorical question is a question where there is a question at the same time there is an answer in that question and what is the question 316 says question number 1 for who were those who heard and yet rebelled 
when I read it for the first time in my recent personal devotions, I was shocked actually because it says, heard yet rebelled. Wow. <laughs> read the Bible yet rebel. Listen to the sermon yet rebel. Take notes yet rebel. Memorize the Bible word to word. Recite flawlessly yet rebel. What kind of a testimony is that? And people like me preach the word of God with passion. Yet rebel. It says, the answer it says, was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Deuteronomy 9.16 confirms, I've been reading just two days ago, you have turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. Quickly. And it says in Deuteronomy 9.23, You rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe Him or obey His voice. You didn't do this. Hebrews 3.17, another question, second question. And with whom was He provoked angry for 40 years? Answer, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You know, people, close to 2 million people were there and their bodies fell in the wilderness. Imagine the sand of the desert was filled with the flesh of these people. Why? Because they were heart-hardened. Numbers 14, 32-33 confirms what author of Hebrews says. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Why it took 40 years? He waited for the last body to die in the wilderness. Never enter into the promised land because of grumbling, rebellion, hard-heartedness. Third question in verse 18. Question, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Answer, but to those who were disobedient. Numbers 32 verse 11 to 12 confirms what the author of Hebrews says here. Surely, now you see God, the decision, determination he takes here. He says that surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Because they have not wholly followed me. None. Except two people. It says Caleb and Joshua. For they have wholly followed the Lord. Interestingly, even Moses and Aaron couldn't enter the promised land. Because they were not obedient to the Lord. Wow. Even Moses, a man who spoke with the Lord face to face, and to whom the Lord spoke as a friend to his friend, through whom God did great and mighty signs and wonders, couldn't enter the promised land because of one disobedience. One. God told him to speak and he spoke. And he says, you can't enter. You know what we lack today, people? Healthy fear of God. Healthy fear of God. There is an unhealthy fear of God, which is all about consequences and God looking like uh, the Kali of the Hinduism, always, always seeking to punish. I'm not talking about it. Healthy fear, how much God is holy, God is righteous, God is loving. Shouldn't I fear Him? And what is the conclusion now? Now hear this. After speaking about these people in the wilderness, he concludes in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. You know what he says? So we see, now this is a point you want to make. Look at these people, how they live in the wilderness, how they harden their hearts, rebelled against the Lord, often going astray from the ways of the Lord. Now we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The reason they rebelled, the reason they disobeyed, the reason they all did this because of Unbelief. In other words, he was telling that he doesn't say that they did not enter. The grammar is not did not enter. It says unable to enter. In other words, it is impossible to enter for them into the rest of God without, without faith. 
as the Bible says later, it is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible for them to enter into the land of rest with unbelief. Why did they rebel? They didn't believe the word of God. Why did they provoke God for 40 years? They didn't believe the word of God. Why did they sin leading to death? They didn't believe the word of God. Why didn't they enter God's promised land? They didn't believe the word of God. Why? How do you know they didn't believe the word of God? Listen to this carefully. It is not hearing that confirms that you believe the word of God. It is not preaching that confirms that you believe the word of God. It is not writing books that confirms that you believe the word of God. It is not nodding your heads that shows that, oh, you believe the word of God. It is not your confessions and profession that shows that you believe the word of God. The only test of your faith in God is your obedience and submission to the authority of the word of God. That man, that woman shows that I believe in the word of God. I have seen that there were times I preached and I went back and committed sin against the Lord. Right on the day that I preached. Why? I didn't take the word of God seriously. Point to believers is this. What is the point? The author cautions his readers and shaky believers not to follow the example, heart-hardening rebellion of these Israelites in the wilderness that couldn't enter the promised land. He was cautioning them. Now what is the biblical antidote to this? There are three things that he shares in this. And I would like to share only one thing today because of time constraint. Now you see what does he say here? How to really keep yourself? Brothers and sisters, carefully listen. If you want to save yourself from this hardening of the heart, rebellion, and all this silly, mischievous, reckless attitude that so many show, if you want to save yourself from that, listen to this carefully what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says how you can do that. The first thing it says is guard your heart. Examine your heart. Guard your heart. You know, uh, sometime recently, uh, after hearing actually Ararat's father's uh, heart attack and uh, surgery, I was... Uh, Encourage that, just go and show how your heart's condition is because my family has a history of heart attacks. All my dear ones died out of heart attack and one day I hope that I may also die from heart attack or some other thing. I have no idea. So the, the, the beat was very fast. I'm also very much concerned about my health but I don't live in that anxiety. If I see anything, I just go and show it and forget about it. Not keep meditating on that which is not a good thing because health can be an idol. So I went and did my ECG and 2D echo. And I slept on that uh, stand and then I was hearing this loud noise. Dun, 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 dun. I never heard that voice. I was asking, what is that noise? He says, your heart. <gasps> My heart. And it never stopped all these 40 years. That struck me with amazement. Never. And what do the cardiologists say? Guard your heart. And how do you take care? Don't take stress. Don't drink alcohol. Don't smoke. Do physical exercise, avoid fatty food and all these things. This is how you should take care. Now listen to this carefully, people. The spiritual condition of your heart is much more important than the physical condition of your heart. When we get even cold, we get panic. I don't know what has happened. And we want to take some immediate medicine. Cough. We want to take immediate medicine. Fever. Do something or the other. But when it comes to... The rebellion, hard-heartedness, and the sight-tracking of the heart. Cool, man. Stay cool. Cool. Bible says, what does it say? He says in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, he says that this is how you guard your heart. This is how you keep yourself from wandering off from the Lord. How? Take care, brothers. You know how much wealth of insight and encouragement is there in that one word? Take care. Why? Because you are careless. Carelessness is one main reason why believers today are in lukewarmness, rebellion, hard-heartedness because of careless, reckless attitude. Bible says here, take care, guard your heart, be mindful of how you are living your life. 
Same thing I was reading today morning in my personal devotion, Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 16. Amazing actually when I read that, oh, this is what I already prepared. And I included this this morning. Deuteronomy 11, 16. Take care. Again, same words. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside. One of the things that we need to constantly keep watching is your heart. Recently, I was reading the book uh, Idols of the Heart by Ellis Fitzpatrick. And I'm telling you, brothers, I never knew that there were so many idols in my heart of which I had to confess and repent and cry, Lord, forgive my sin of these idols. Never knew that because of my carelessness. And I had to come to a position of taking care. People, listen to this. When the Bible says, take care, brothers, it is a command. It's a command. If you are a believer, you must take care of your heart more than anything. More than your job, more than your family, more than your health, more than anything. You should constantly guard your heart because every backsliding, every evil, every sin, every hardness, every rebellion begins in the heart. You cannot do anything which doesn't begin in your heart. And that's the reason the Bible says, take care, brothers. Take care of yourself. I want to tell you something here. As I was reading about this, don't be overconfident. There are some people who think that, eh? I believe in the doctrine of eternal security. I believe in the preservation of God's soul. God, God guarding my heart. till I am fully fursad. I can sit like Nawab, sleep like Nawab, eat like Nawab, live like Nawab. Because God is sovereign and we, we, we quote Calvin also. John Calvin, you know what he said? He said that you will never, never lose your salvation. It's true. It's true that I believe that. I believe more than you do. At the same time, I live my life with fear and trembling. That is what a true reformed person does. He doesn't take his heart for granted because he believes in a doctrine. Don't be overconfident, brothers and sisters. Today you may fall. Today you may stand. You don't know when you will fall. Fall is always surprising to a lot of people. And at the same time, I want to caution some people. Some people are overconfident. Some people are passive. Knowing that they are not well. How are you? Hey, not well, brother. How is the condition of your heart? So and so. What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> wow. Take time to be holy. I want to add another word. Take efforts to be holy. Holiness is not automatic. Holiness doesn't come. When the time comes, everything will be okay. No, there is no such thing. You need to guard your heart. Take time, take efforts. If you don't do that, gone. Your true nature will fall out someday. Don't be passive when you know that your heart is not well. More than anything, it should be like a heart attack. What will you do when you know that you have a heart attack? Yesterday I read the news that there is a person, uh, some, some serial actor is 46 years old. When I saw 46, my goodness, I'm, I'm of the same age. And I saw that news, heart attack gone in the gym. These days, people go to gym not to get heart attack. And people are getting heart attack after going to gym. Now, some lazy people get a good excuse. Relax at home. What is the point of going to gym? Because heart attack is coming. Sleep till 9 o'clock. Eat like a bull. People, the people who got attacked going to gym, I heard only two people in my life. But I have heard mul multitudes of people have got attacked because they didn't go to that. So think about it. Whether it is better to go or not to go. <laughs> and there are people who think that, you know, when the grammar it says here, they, 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 some are overconfident, some are passive, some are active occasionally. Occasionally. Once in a while they get excited, emotional and they want to fast and pray pray for hours and after a few days mm, mm, mm. you know that music right mm, falls down, occasional you know when the bible says here take care I have seen that it says in the present tense take care in the present continuous tense which means keep on taking care of yourself let not a single day go. Not let a single moment go. Guard your heart. 
Always be on alert because your heart is what is important. And I love this verse from um, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. You know what it says? It says, keep your heart with all vigilance. You know what is vigilance? What is vigilance? Full alert. Whose heart? Not your wife's heart. Not your husband's heart. Not the other member's heart. Your own heart. We are good at watching at other people. I am my brother's keeper. First you keep yourself well and then keep, take care of others. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Do you understand what it means? All your actions and thoughts and choices flow from the condition of your heart. And if you neglect your heart, you're gone. What is the point of dressing beautifully and standing before the mirrors for hours and seeing how do I look before others when your heart is in a shaking condition? You need to guard your heart. And listen to this. It says that guard your heart, which means no one can guard your heart. You should guard your own heart. Don't outsource this to God and say, the Lord, I will do whatever I want. You guard my heart. You are sovereign. You can do anything. You are in control of all things. Nothing is impossible with you. I will live a reckless, reckless life. But sovereign God, ultimately, your will prevails. These are the abusers of doctrines. (laughs) Be careful, people. The pain that you experience, even though you believe in, is insurmountable, unbearable. No one can guard your heart. I cannot also sit to Cyril and say that, hey, Cyril, guard my heart once in a week and the rest of the week I'll be flirting and when you come together for accountability, then I'll just wake up to my senses. No, people, guard your heart constantly. You know why heart? Because your heart, as one author says, is the mission control center of your entire life. Mission control center, that is, your thoughts and your emotions and your choices, everything is controlled by the heart. Now listen carefully here. Although external situations may influence the heart. That's what we see here that the the water issue came. And then the meat issue came. And then the night issue came. The day issue came. All this pressing, testing, external situations. You know what happened? Listen to this carefully. These external difficulties did not cause them to rebel. It is the condition of the heart of these people that caused them to rebel. External situation only exposed the condition of their hearts. But they are not completely responsible. And if you always blame situations, this person is the reason for this. That situation has made me like this. You will never change. Because the, you are pampering and feeding the enemy inside you and you are blaming other things. We need to understand that Your heart is the greatest culprit. And that's what he says here in Hebrews 3.12. What does it say? Take care, brothers. Says the writer, it was... What what does it say that in 3.12? Take care, brothers. Says the writer, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. An evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He says that it was unbelieving heart. I love what James Vernon Maggie, one of the uh, beautiful commentators of the Bible, he says that, pointing to their sin. What was their sin? It was not murder. It was not stealing. It was not lying. What was it? My friend, they didn't believe God. That was their great sin. They didn't believe God. You know, there is one thing that I want to tell you. What is it that they didn't believe in God? As I was pondering over that, because I love to delve faith and unbelief, what does it mean? I have seen that the Israelites did not believe God in these three areas. And I have seen that every one of us are prone to fall in that area. The first thing they didn't believe that God is righteous. Honestly. What does it mean? Everything that God says is right. Everything that God does is right. You know, what did they say? Why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt and made us suffer like this? Which means God committed a blunder. They didn't believe that God is righteous. I know that I'm going through this difficulty, but I know that God is righteous. I'm not talking about profession people. The way that you look at things. 
The way that you look at things shows that what you believe about God, it is not your profession, your obedience that shows how much we believe about who God is. They didn't believe that God is righteous. Hence, they're rebel. And another thing that I see is that, that they didn't believe God is good. They didn't believe God is good. They didn't believe that God is good and faithful. He never fails. He loves me and cares for me. If you ask them, does God love you? They must be saying, no, I don't think so. God loves me. If God loves me, then why should I lose my health? If God loves me, then why is it that God is not providing this water to me? If God loves me, then why am I not quickly into the promised land? Why am I wandering in this wilderness? I don't think so. God loves me. People, if you don't believe God loves you, you are in the hands of the devil who poisons you and kills the joy of your Christian living. The only reason that you can, as Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he spoke from the prison. How come Paul said from the prison, the worst affliction he was facing saying that rejoice in the Lord. You know why? He himself says that the life that I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not my prison that tests whether God loves me. It is not the praise and applause of people that tests that God loves me. It is he died for my sins. There is no greater evidence than that, that God loves me. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, every time, every day, the devil is in the business poisoning your mind either not to believe in the righteousness of God that God is working in you God is right no matter what is happening you may not understand but God is righteous God is loving and caring towards you if you don't believe that gone and final thing that I also see that they didn't believe that God is powerful I mean I don't understand these people because I was not there. Or maybe I don't understand myself. <laughs> These guys saw that God tore apart the Red Sea. They saw the drowning of the Egyptians. They saw the pillar of cloud in the daytime and the pillar of fire in the night. And when it comes to cheap things like water, that's the least miracle that God can do. That's simple comparatively to what all the Lord did in the past. And they grumble and said, Where is God? What is God doing? Why did you bring us to die in this wilderness? We were better in the slavery there than living in this wilderness. They didn't believe that God is able to take care of them. Which is, it's an insult to his power. Every person who doesn't believe attacks the attributes of God. It doesn't believe that God is righteous. Or doesn't believe that God is loving. Or doesn't believe that God is all-powerful. He can do. Sometimes I tell God jokingly, Lord, I have no problem with your ability. I know you can do anything. My problem is with your will. Whether you are willing to do that. (laughs) I just want to mention this and come to close. I want to tell you something very important, dear brothers and sisters. Hear this. And whether you want to choose to obey or rebel, it is up to you. But hear this. All sin is rooted in unbelief. Even a person who watches porn, for example, he doesn't believe that God is watching over him when he is watching porn. He doesn't believe. He doesn't believe in the omniscience of God. If he believes that, will, he, will he, any person watches porn sitting in the church hall No one dares to do that. Why? People are watching him. Whether you believe in the omniscience of God, that's one of the tests. If you are watching porn, you don't believe that God is watching you. You don't believe God is grieved by watching that. You don't believe any of these things. You may read Systematic Theology, John Frame and Wayne Grudem. You don't really believe that. You need to accept it and say, Lord, forgive my sin of unbelief. I want to tell you one example here. You know what was the first sin in the Garden of Eden? You know what was the first sin in the Garden of Eden? We just think about the sin, but if you examine the deep roots of that sin, 
God said clearly in Genesis chapter 2 verse 17, the day you eat this fruit, you shall. And what did the devil say in Genesis chapter 3 verse 4? You shall not die. Whom did Eve believe? Whom did Eve believe? She didn't believe in God. You know why she ate the fruit? She didn't believe that the day she eats, she will die. Every sin speaks lies to you. Do this, your life will be beautiful. Your life will be wonderful. That's why people run after that. Why? Because they believe lies than the truth of God. Now here is the point that I would like to tell you. When you don't believe what God says, you disobey what God commands. When you don't believe what God says, you disobey what God commands. Every disobedient, rebellion, hardening of the heart is rooted in unbelief. Think about that carefully. Let's stand up and pray. I finished only half my sermon today. Let's stand up and pray. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell to myself and to you what the author of Hebrews says. Take care, brothers. You know, before I pray, I want you to look at me. I, led, I, I remember hearing once Paul Washer says this, and I was struck with wonder when he said that. You know what he said? The reason you don't pray, you are not a man of prayer or a woman of prayer, is because you believe that you can run your life without God. You can run your life. You can live for the day without God. You don't need God. No, you may deny it with your profession. We are very good in professing. It's your heart and obedience. If you really believe, Lord, I can do nothing without you. I should spend time in prayer. And my life is nothing. I can't do nothing. I can't face the situation. You will be on your knees. Crying out to God, Lord, I need your wisdom, grace, spend time. And the way that you get up right from your bed, wash your face, superficially read something, run to your daily activity shows that you don't need God. I can run my life without God. Because you don't believe what God says. When Jesus said you can do nothing, you believe that. I believe against what Jesus said. I can do something. So that's the reason I say, people, that every act of disobedience shows that we don't believe in God. And therefore, we don't obey God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what shall we say, O Lord, about ourselves? I don't understand, O Lord, the way you are bearing us. I don't understand. If I was in your place, I would wipe off the whole world the way they sin against you. But your word says that you are the Lord who is righteous. You are the Lord who is compassionate. You are the Lord who is holy. You are the Lord who is loving. And you are the Lord who stays faithful to your covenant people. And you made a covenant with us to love us. And your love is everlasting, not dependent on feelings like us. And we thank you so much for your great love towards us. And because of your love, because of your righteousness, because of your almightiness, help us, O Lord, to believe in everything that you say about who you are and what you do and be obedient to your word. Lord, as a song says, prone to wander, God, I feel it. Prone to wander, my heart is sealed, my heart. Seal my heart with coats above, with your presence. And this is what we pray this morning. Seal our hearts, O Lord. The devil is roaring night and day to devour the faith of your children. And our hearts are often deceptive to come after, run after the allurements of the world. And thank you for cautioning us today, warning us today, awakening your people. Do not harden your hearts. Look at the people of Israel. Don't think you are better than them. Lord, give us that tender heart of Heavenly Father.
that quickly feels the conviction of sin and immediately obeys your word. Fear and tremble at your word. This is the one to whom you look. Help us, O Lord, to take this message seriously. Take care of our hearts. As I preach this, O Lord, may I take care of my heart, lest I preach and disqualify myself. May we not hear and rebel as these people did because we are bought by the blood of Christ. We are saved by the grace of God. We are indwelled by the Spirit of God. And we believe that by your grace and mercy we will persevere till the end. And we will not turn back because of your grace and love for us. And may we take every effort and work and grow and mature and keep submitting to the authority of your word. You expose, O oh Lord, every sin of rebellion in us after we go back home and spend time in prayer examining ourselves. Lord, where did I go wrong? Where am I going astray? What are the idols of my heart? Help us, O oh Lord, to spend time in prayer and seek your face and you restore us, O oh Lord. Keep restoring us. And help us to guard our hearts always in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave his life for us. We offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m Grace and peace be to you.